let's get started and uh, a warm good evening and welcome to everyone who is uh, logging in either through this uh, webinar or through facebook where this is also streaming live on the indic book club facebook uh, group uh, it is at facebook.com slash groups slash indic book club all one word so you can join from any of these two uh, medium and you can send in your questions through the Q&A button that you should have on your uh, on this webinar link. If you see at the bottom, you'll see a Q&A link. So you can send in your questions. And once we are finished with our chat, then uh, you know we'll take these Q&A one by one. So welcome, uh, Vivek. Uh, it's a pleasure, delight uh, to host you on this uh, Indic Book Club uh, author Q&A. And it's a double pleasure for me to to, to do this uh, and chat with you. I think uh, in 2018, June, we had done this when you had come to Bangalore for the launch of your book, Urban, Mac uh, Urban Maxils, The Making of Buddha in a Traffic Jam at the Crossword Bookstore. And it was a near riot. If I recall correctly, there were uh, literally hundreds of people crowding the store, standing in the aisles and everywhere. And what was supposed to last for about 45 minutes to an hour went on for more than two and a half hours. You had to delay your, your departure. And there, were, there was a line of people waiting to get their books signed. And uh, I think the store ran out of books. They said they had never sold so many copies of a single book in a single day uh, until as much as they did uh, with Urban Naxal. So now when you said that you were coming up uh, with the next book, Who Killed uh, Shastri, the, you know, basically from the maker of you made this uh, movie in 2019, The Tashkent Files, and uh, this is a fabulous book. I, I think if I can, uh, uh, oh, okay, if uh, people can see this. They can see only if it is in front of your face. Oh, no. Okay, so uh, I'll, I'll try and show it again, but uh, this book uh, came out uh, a couple of months back, and uh, I'm delighted to uh, host you, Vivek. Thank you, thank you very much. It's always, uh, like coming to family, uh, I'm not, I've never treated myself separate from uh, Indic Academy, Indic Book Club. In fact, my whole journey started when I got a bunch of books from Indic Book Club. At that time, I didn't know people personally and they just landed uh, in my house uh, 2017 or something like that, 16 maybe, perhaps, yeah. So that's how I got introduced and I said, aha, even people run book clubs right now. And then I got to meet wonderful people, thanks to Hari especially. In fact, see, a lot of people talk about success. And uh, if I was a 35, 40-year-old young boy, I would have said, aha, yes, it was, I got the success. But now I'm at a stage in life where I uh, have understood the real meaning of success. Uh, see, success is never uh, independent. Success is never of a person. Anybody who thinks it's of a person is absolutely wrong. And this world has been celebrating people. People are just medium. You know, there are lots of permutations and combinations, lots of associations, collaborations, things which work together to make something happen, to make something successful. Uh, so I think it was A, it was victory of an idea. And I would like to break it down into uh, two, three ideas. It wasn't just one idea. If people think Urban Nexus was an idea, no, it wasn't an idea. I think the first idea was that I decided to treat it not like a film, Buddha in a Traffic Jam. And I decided to treat it just like uh, an idea and take it to schools and universities and colleges, you know. 
and uh, I knew there was resistance and we fought it. And the second idea was when Hari uh, Kiran, uh, he one day out of the blues for no reason, he called me and he said, why don't you pan down all these And very hesitantly, I went there thinking this guy is wasting his money and time and everything. Uh, <laughs> once I reached there, I wrote three chapters like in no time because it was very easy. Just, they just came out. But then I got stuck and it took then it was a long journey, one, one and a half years, I think almost. Um, and that time I was traveling a lot in India. And as I kept traveling and traveling and meeting people, that's why you see the book started in a different fashion and slowly you see Urban Nationals turns around and becomes uh, more like travelogue plus meeting people plus, in, you know, my conversation. I think you start the book by describing one, you know, very cold December night uh, you were and family were traveling uh, somewhere near in, in Rajasthan yeah, and uh, some agitation stopped, uh, had blocked the road. And I think Gujar, you, Gujar agitation. Yeah. Correct. Correct. And we lost. And so then the, that idea uh, merged with Hari's idea. And then when it came to launch the book, I think. It was lots of minds put together. I remember Hari got some eight or 10 people, I, maybe more uh, in Delhi, I still remember, to have a meeting what to do with this book, how to go about it, you know. Um, and by that time, I think the major publishing houses had made some excuses or the other. And everybody sat down and I think it was very collaborative work. Everybody collectively from Indic Academy, I remember, uh, from Delhi uh, representatives and uh, Dimple and there were lots of people and everybody put in their ideas. I'll, later on, I again met these people and slowly it started getting formalized how to go about it. And then Hari and I, we somehow figured out, okay, if we go to, I was planning to go to US. I said, if I club these two things and a whole lot of things happened. And we traveled city by city by city because we had no other way of doing things. Uh, at that time, Garuda, uh, even now, I don't know, they had no distribution in bookshops and they were new. They didn't even know how to market the book and they left it to us. So I think it was a success of Indic Academy, Indic Book Club, whatever. I don't even know the distinction between so many Indic branches for me. It's just Indica. That's it. So... Uh, between them and my foundation, I am with the foundation, a team of three, four very young people who coordinated everything for me. So I think uh, that's how the success and above everything else, I think it was the success of an idea. And the idea was that all this th thing was happening in India for a long time. You know, the leftist domination of culture and education and how middle class, non-English speaking, non-convent educated young boys and girls had to face this problem in India. They connected somehow and it, the youth of India, they suddenly pushed the book. And that's why if you see even in Bangalore, when we came, I know it was sort of a stampede and uh, it was full of young boys and girls. It was mostly young boys and girls. So they owned the book and they made it successful. So I would say it was a collective success, not just uh, one... You can't pinpoint that this is where the success is. Correct, correct. Uh, it, you know, a lot of things came together to make that book uh, a success. And so therefore, when you came up with the Tashkent files, 
which is to, uh, a movie that uh, in a fictionalized setting seeks to put out a lot of facts uh, that have uh, been there and they've been available basically to everyone for mm-hmm. more than uh, you know 50 50 54 years when lal bahadur shastri as second prime minister had gone to tashkent he had signed uh, the the peace accord uh, uh, on the 10th of january 1966 and that very night in the early hours of 11th of january he died and you talk about uh, <clears throat> that the the idea for this movie was with you for a long long time it was not like you wake woke up one morning and you decided to make a movie and you talk about the kind of uh, struggles you had to face to get even basic basic information out from the government from the archives about the circumstances of his death so i'm surprised with the rti now for so many years with the event with the you know with with his death having taken place so many years back how is it that there is no information uh, that you had you know found it so difficult to find information um see uh, you know all of us it's not that we live in different countries we live in the same country same society you know that uh, in india uh, doing research is a nightmare it is actually a nightmare i remember uh, once i had gone to us when i went there to study uh, my childhood friend used to live in us somewhere i i had no clue where he lived i had no idea absolutely where he lived um so uh, i just called uh, that time operator used to be there so i just called the operator and i said you know i had a childhood friend and i haven't seen him in 10 15 years and he lives somewhere in us and i gave the name that's all you won't believe it after a couple of months i could locate him he used wow. to live in adirondack mountains up north you know on the eastern uh, coast and i actually visited him i went to his house i had to take a bus and all those things and he was living there at that time illegally you know hiding in some motel <laughs> running from motel you know and doing his engineering <laughs> now today in india if if you if you are driving and if you don't know anybody and if you to find a address of a house it's a nightmare you can't reach there it's almost impossible you know so we somehow have not catalog things we have not um, archive things and and if you have to deal with the government then it's a very big night where i mean some i think people should visit national archive is they have everything they have millions and millions of files but the problem is attitude a the kind of researchers who go there are not investigative researchers the researchers who go there are just these phd students and people like that who just have to go and copy things and fill pages you know and write some dissertation or some kind of a thesis you know but they are not investigators in fact i was talking to their director and you won't believe me i he said what are you doing i said i am just doing what shastri is this thing i don't know if i have written or not i personally when i met him and i said i am doing investigation he said are you a journalist i said yeah sort of a you can call it you know i am a filmmaker he said but why what are you doing here i have never seen any journalist coming here you know and if you go to the archives in us or in any advanced country in the world it's full of journalists correct you know even the students of journalism they do that so it is a nightmare rti let me tell you honestly i have done it for uh, the first this uh, tashkent files and i am doing it a lot for the kashmir files also 
But now for the Kashmir files, and I want to confess, I'm not doing it thinking that I'll get some information because I definitely won't get information. I'm just doing it as a formality so that later on nobody questions my uh, uh, seriousness about the project. And at least I have on record that I've filed so many RTIs and nobody has replied even once. Or they reply, they do. What they do is they direct you, go to archives, go here, go there. They try to avoid, avoid, avoid. Tell me one thing, RTI has been for so many years. Have you ever seen anything worthwhile coming? Have you seen anything getting exposed? We had so many scams, so many issues. You never get information. Somehow, I think uh, our, our, our system, you know, the political bureaucratic system has figured out a way even to survive the, 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 you know, the spotlight that RTI was supposed to shed on the inner workings of government. I think they have uh, found a way to manage even that, which is a tragedy of sorts. Uh, so when you, uh, when you decided to write this book, was it a conscious uh, thought that, uh, you know, I'm making this movie once this movie comes out, I, I want to document the journey of the movie or it uh, came as an afterthought once the movie had come out and it became such a, you know, unexpected commercial success. Um, you want me to give you a very honest answer. It might bring some inside uh, details, which I have never spoken about. Don't want Sure, to. sure. Please but, go ahead. Um, see, it, I'll tell you how it happened, you know. Um, um, when, before, even before we started making the film, I had umpteen of research, lots of research. And uh, that is a time when with Garuda, uh, had met me and he actually few times he met me and he said, so what are you doing about it? I said, what will I do with this research? I'll perhaps put it in a book form and I should do it so that people know. And he was supposed to do this book. I first offered it to him to uh, do that. And he committed to do it. But then I don't know. Um, uh, I, I felt that after doing Urban Nexus and creating this, they should have at least appreciated and given some kind of a... Um, token remuneration saying or advance, whatever, even 11 rupees saying that, yes, we acknowledge because it takes a lot of effort to write a book like this. You know, it's not fiction that I sit and write fiction. Even fiction is, I'm, I don't want to undermine it. It's a great work, but here it's more than just writing a book because you need help. You need people, you need documentation. It's, it's tough job. And then convert right. the complex research, everything into very simple thing. People don't, people are not understanding what I'm doing. If somebody asks me, what's your contribution to this narrative? I would say I'm taking very, very complex engineering and I'm making it so simple that even a housewife can handle that machine. So it's very user-friendly stuff I'm writing. And I'm deliberately writing that simple sentences. I always, if I, there's a word which is long and it's difficult, I go to thesaurus and I just find the simplest possible and then I bring that into use. That's just a lot of work. But then I realized that... Um, um, I, I somehow felt that I w it wasn't value. And last minute, it came last minute, by the time I had put a lot of effort together. And that's when um, uh, Bloomsbury contacted me. I don't know how they got the information, what they knew, and they contacted me and they said, if you're doing something like this, we are here, we'll help you and all those kind of things. You know. So I called uh, Sankrant and I told him this is happening. My, I definitely, if we have created uh, this publishing house together, so I think you sh we should do it. But then they didn't know how to go about it professionally. That's it. 
and that's how the bloomsbury came into picture and then i put the whole thing together and they were flexible i told them i'll finish the film and then i'll start writing even after that i took a lot of time so that's how bloomsbury came into picture and this was far far i mean much 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 before even delhi riots people knew that d for delhi since we are on that topic i have to you know i was thinking of asking you this later but since we have uh, you know we have broached this subject i'll ask you now i did some looking up into and i wrote uh, one article also that uh, you know if you look at some of the major publishers in india and bloomsbury is one of them and if you look at some of the books uh, that have come out in the last 2 uh, 2 and a half years what has been their general slant and fact of the matter is i found bloomsbury to be the publisher that has published the most books with a sympathetic right wing narrative if i may call it that they have their other you know left uh, voices also but they have given the most space to right wing authors then this controversy over the delhi riots book came out and there were several right wing authors uh, you know that we heard about from twitter and, and other places who said they are going to withdraw their book and i i i said i'm not sure whether that's the right thing to do i can understand the anger and the anguish that people would feel that at this you know censoring of of a book that had gone through review and editing and and you know legal vetting and everything you chose to go with the bloomsbury right so there are so were there any was there any pressure on you did you feel at any point that you should not publish with bloomsbury and go with another publisher and what was uh, the the whole you know i'm sure this would have come up as a discussion as a topic okay yeah i i don't shy away talking about it in fact i never spoke about it but this is to me this is a very sacred place and i treat indic academy as a very nice uh, platform so therefore i should be uh, speaking with utmost honesty and sincerity and without mincing my words i would like to put it on record that the book actually uh, uh started selling a uh, few months before even delhi riots was in the picture even it before it was commissioned by bloomsbury you know uh, yeah yeah so it started and pre orders had started everything was done and it came out in the market because of covid everybody wanted to lie low and it was decided the book will do on 2nd of october you know so bloomsbury decided that let it just go to the bookshops and all slowly market is opening up you know first first august then first september like that slowly it was opening up and they right. let it happen and then we'll launch it properly in fact i had discussions with hari ji also and that okay we'll do book launch whenever the right time comes and then um, one day uh, monica called me monica rora and she said vivek ji i want you to be the chief guest and give the Uh, keynote speech in my books uh, inaugural and i said okay i had no problems so i was part to that and as it was happening i think when the function was going on she got a letter from bloomsbury that uh, they are withdrawing right and when i figured out why of course they gave the excuse that they used their logo without even um, informing them which is truth also and you won't believe it i it's on records i'm not saying it i actually tried my best to uh you know sort this out i fought with bloomsbury with their managing director 
uh, I wrote to their uh, the main guy in London. You know, I wrote him a couple of letters and I sent him a memo. I sent him a WhatsApp message. I did a lot of, lot of stuff. I'm not just a Twitter activist. A lot of people don't know. I actually put in a lot of groundwork. You know, I actually put in like you do or everybody does. Uh, so I tried everything, my best to put it together. I spoke to Monica G. Then slowly she was advised. She agreed to speak to them. You know, and they were willing to do something about it. She agreed with me. She officially agreed with me on WhatsApp and on call. But then um, next morning she called me that way. Sorry. And we fixed a Zoom meeting. We created a link and everything. But last minute she said, I've been advised by people not to do this. And uh, just a few minutes after that, then Garula announced a book and then rest, you know that. Now, I don't know how can you withdraw a book which has already been sold and people have bought it. What do I do? If I withdraw it, where do I go? What do, I mean, what do I do? I have no clue. I have no idea. I don't know how I can do that. Yes, I can do posturing on social media saying that, you know, like a lot of people announced whose books were never published. They said we are withdrawing. Withdrawing what? You don't even have a contract with Bloomsbury. What are you withdrawing? Just because you met somebody and they said, okay, okay, when you write the book after three years or five years, then we will publish it. And you are saying I'm withdrawing. So there were a lot of posturing was going on. You know how Twitter functions, um, you know. All these people, honestly, let me use this word, were bullshitting. Everybody was just doing 240 word stuff. I, on my 10 minute debate for one and a half weeks, I ran focused campaign against people who actually blocked this book, William Dallenprill. I ran against all these people, Atish Tasir. These are relying on YouTube. I did with various people. I inv invited Abhijit Ayar Mitra, Anand Ranganathan. I got all these people together. I did so many Zoom meetings. Abhijit Mazumdar, you know, uh, Sanjeev Sanyal's wife. Uh, I got her some Smita and everybody. And I spoke. I said, it's time for us to fight collectively. But the problem, you know, today, Abhinav, the genuine, it's a real problem and it bothers me a lot, which is that we don't want to put any work we don't want to sacrifice anything. We don't want to come out of our comfort zone. We don't want to fight. We don't want to piss off anybody. We just want to fight against one invisible enemy, a hypothetical enemy, and just blah, blah, blah. Yesterday, some boy wrote that I went to Oxford store and they are not selling Delhi riot books and I am boycotting Oxford stores. Somebody then wrote under his tweet, somebody told him he had taken a picture and I mean, if you put these kind of things, then 100 people would have gone and stone, thrown stones at Oxford stores for no reason. Somebody wrote to him, hey, Garula Prakashan doesn't sell in bookshops. So forget Oxford, you won't even get the shop next to Garula's office. Now, the problem is people, are, people don't know anything, they are misinformed. So as far as the book, Delhi Riots, it came much, much, it came later on. It had nothing to do with my book. The people who have withdrawn their books, are the books which were never published or which were going to be published. For example, Sanjeev Dikshit's book, I wrote the foreword for that book. And that book was supposed to come in December or whenever. So it was easy for him. Imagine if my book was not published. It was not in the hands of people. If people hadn't paid money to buy it. Right? A right. book is not just a book. A lot of work goes. It, it's two, three years of work. One year of work for editors. I know how I work with editors because it was a technical book. A lot of referencing wasn't there. We found it. A whole lot of work has gone into that. Correct. So then these people who withdrew their book, 
they started running a campaign that Vivek Agniotri should also withdraw his book, boycott his book, ban his book and all that. Mm. They started, yeah. So I know all these people who are running this campaign. I don't know why, uh, what, how it will help them. In fact, what they don't realize is if they are going to attack me more, I'm definitely smarter than them. I'm going to use it to my advantage, which I have not done till date, you know, and I'll convert the whole thing in my favor, but I don't want to get into this thing. So they we have decided to slow, let's sell on its own. And we will do hangama whenever we have to do, let the markets also open up. People have started their lives immediately after COVID, let people get settled, we'll do it after Diwali. But the good news is this, that without any visibility, without doing anything, the hard copies and bookstores, they have got repeat orders from almost every single place. And on, um, on, uh, on through Amazon and through digital, this thing, they are getting repeat orders. And Bloomsbury is very happy with the way book is selling at this stage. In fact, they were not expecting anything better than this. So it's definitely, and I'm sure after Diwali, once I start uh, doing more stuff on this, uh, people will get to know more about it. Interesting. A lot of, I think, uh, information insights that I think a lot of us did not know. Uh, and this is a, a topic that I think uh, we probably need to have a, a, a separate, more focused debate on this because there are a lot of... Uh, Issues that you have uh, alluded to and talked about that I think deserve a, 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 you know, I think a more detailed discussion. But coming back to this book, Who Killed Shastri? Yeah. Uh, I find it most unbelievable that a prime minister dies in a foreign country. His wife, she cries that her husband has been murdered. The wife of the prime minister is saying that uh, conduct an autopsy, conduct an investigation. No autopsy is conducted. No investigation is conducted. And people still insist to this day, some people, that anyone who claims that this was anything but a natural death is a conspiracy theorist. How do you explain this? Oh, where's the conspiracy? If you look at the at the center of the book, the main question is post-mortem. How is it believable that the Prime Minister of India, the second Prime Minister, dies in a foreign country immediately after the war and during Cold War and he dies under suspicious circumstances where KGB per se goes and arrests their own butlers and Indian butler and Indian cook, Indian um, uh, ambassador, Mr. T.N. Call has been in, uh, uh, he's being uh, asked many questions. And despite that, the we never went in for post-mortem. That I think was the biggest, biggest, biggest blunder we have ever made. Where is the conspiracy in that? Second thing is for the prime minister's death, if the country demands an inquiry, we have not set up even one inquiry commission. And all this third thing is all this happened. There are so many questions I have raised in the book, like two medical reports still till date. Nobody has been able to answer that a uh, whole lot of things. But the problem is all this was happening when the prime minister's house office was getting bribes in rubles when the ministers, journalists, uh, intelligence people, 
they were all on the payroll of KGB. When all this you put together, that is a conspiracy. Not that this is a conspiracy theory. That is a conspiracy, which now the question should be asked, who were the conspirators who were conspiring against India? That is the question the book raises, not that this is a conspiracy theory raising questions about Shastri's death. So this thing about, uh, you know, uh, Indian politicians, journalists, media houses, bureaucrats being on the payroll. This is something that you write about in the latter part of your book. And I think you quote two, uh, two, two Soviet defectors. One of them was Bezma, Yuri Bezmanov, I, if I remember. And the other one uh, was the Mitrokin archives. And these are literally tens of thousands of pages that... Uh, were taken out of the KGB's uh, archives themselves. They were then translated, transcribed, and published in books. And there is, there are, I think, uh, basically you say that, uh, or maybe it's a chapter in the book that says India, entire India was for sale. Yeah. And when the Mitrokan archives were published, mm -hmm. I think about more than 15 or 20 years back, I don't remember when, apart from a couple of... Uh, headlines in a few newspapers, it did not arouse any other interest or outrage or investigations from anyone. It was allowed to die a quiet death. So the question now arises is that uh, in 1970, I believe there were, there were, there were uh, several parliamentary discussions around uh, Shastri's death. And uh, uh, Swaran Singh, uh, minister in the Indra, in the Mrs. Indira Gandhi cabinet, uh, answered questions, including one was a so one question, and, and this is uh, something I've, I wanted to talk a little bit about. This is beyond belief to me. So, according to eyewitness accounts, uh, Shastri came over at about uh, I think shortly after midnight, and uh, he had to walk a fair distance. He knocks on the door of, I think, Dr. Chug, his personal doctor. He says he's feeling uneasy. And they go back to the room and they find they can't detect the pulse. And shortly after, they give an uh, intramuscular injection. And shortly after that, he's declared dead. Now, Dr. I think Swaran Singh, the minister, when asked, why didn't he ring the bell? Why did he walk? He said that perhaps uh, Shastri did not want to disturb uh, anyone and thought he would walk in the state he was supposed to, to his doctor's room. And uh, it was, I think, the opposition uh, leader, Raj Narayan, who later went on to defeat Mrs. Indira Gandhi, you know, by a huge margin and all that. He asked these questions. How is it that uh, we don't hear about these things? I hadn't heard of this till I uh, read about this in your book. See, these are... The problem is that, uh, I don't know, uh, do you know any journalist who goes through parliament records? All we record is that what Rahul Gandhi did, how he went and hugged Modi. These are, we, we, see, we have become a theater now. It's like we believe in theatrics. That's all. And we have been a country of melodrama. So we have just picked up the melodramatic parts, but we don't want to go deep into it. I think you will find lots of insights. If somebody, in fact, somebody just goes through parliament um, discussions in the last 70 years, you'll understand why this country is wherever it is right now. But we don't do that. Nobody, because parliament also conducts lots of serious discussions. It's not just zero hour and it's not just when Mr. Modi comes and 
so we did that we picked up all the parliament and there was no hype around it they were lying quietly and i won't give the source but then i sourced it it's very difficult to get it from parliament itself you know unless and until yeah that is also again a complication but i used a source and i got uh, whatever i wanted and when we were reading that all this i didn't honestly trust me uh, nobody so many people have written about sastri's thing nobody um, uh, wrote about these two reports about the signature thing that uh, the russian report has different signatures indian report has different signatures how is it possible that the death report yeah you know uh, i picked it up from the parliament and it was presented by nobody less than rn singh who was one of the veteran uh, uh, parliamentarian okay atal bihari bajpayee these were whatever you want to say but these were very serious uh, members of parliament they were great parliamentarians they did their homework and unlike today that every tom dick and harry goes and shouts anything at that time i have seen these people have very very well supported arguments and all those kind of things and very sadly besides this what the government of india filed in the parliament there is no death report of shastri the medical report there is none yeah if you see what i picked up is from the discussions from the arguments but when you put the white paper with the white paper there is no i have written i think in the book also i don't remember correctly there is so much material i think yes i have written with the white paper see day to day discussion is something then government presents the white paper every annexure has to be documented it's got no medical report the reason was then it makes you uh, get suspicious that is it because there were two different reports and you also write that uh, as per protocol the, there are these regular you know blood pressure and pulse and other medical parameters that are recorded of the prime minister they are kept in a logbook and that logbook is the property of the government of india yeah in the case of lal bahadur shastri it is missing yeah it is simply missing if we have pandit jawalal nehru's logbook if we have indira gandhi's log book then how come we don't have shastri's uh, this thing and people still want to insist anyone saying that this death was anything but natural is a conspiracy theorist but be that as it may i i want to ask you this is a fascinating thing i you know to the extent i want you to tell me as much as you can about this in 1977 after the janta party came to power there was still not an inquiry but there was a parliamentary committee to which some people were called to provide the testimony among them were two people who were there in the house when lal bahadur shastri died at tashkent one was dr chug his personal physician the other one was his cook i think it was ramnath if i am not yeah. mistaken yeah. i i yeah. his so, personal assistant yeah personal assistant uh, who was a cook who was not who did not cook uh, shastri's last meal by the way which is another story all by in itself the cook who cooked shastri's last meal was the personal cook of the indian ambassador to the soviet union which is again very very interesting but we leave that for the moment yeah. so these two people were called to give testimony and uh, on the same day you have dr chug who's coming in a car and his car is rammed by a truck and everyone except one child dies in that car accident and mind you 1977 delhi was not such a crowded place that there were you know lakhs and lakhs of vehicles on the roads hmm. then 
Ramnath, he visits the house of uh, where, uh, you know, Srimati Dalita Shastri used to live. He meets her and according to eyewitness accounts, he tells us something like, He steps out of the house in front of the prime, late prime ministers where his widow lives and a government bus runs him over. He, his legs are amputated, he loses his memory and a few months later he dies. Ye, when you first read and found this out, what was your reaction? My first reaction was that <clears throat> what kind of a country we are, you know, if, uh, if this something like this had happened in US, Oliver Stone would have made 10 films out of this, you know, and they would have written so many books and so many articles. Uh, Anil Shastri has been saying about this for a long time. But this is a coincidence, you know, and the bigger coincidence is that there was indeed a parliamentary committee. There indeed a lot of people spoke to it. These people went to give their testimonies, but the, there's no documentation with the parliament about this. Nobody has an idea where is that report, what happened to that, nobody even cares about it. So this is the, this is how we have run this country for so long. It reminds me of uh, when the Janta Party came to power, it instituted a commission of inquiry to look into the excesses committed during the emergency. There was a, I think, a Jain commission report. And for almost, I think, 20 years, no one can, could find a copy of the report till someone managed to smuggle one copy out, photocopy it, and then how we know that 900-page report exists and certain very distinguished personalities came in for very harsh criticism and it was recommended that I think criminal action be instituted, but that's a different story. So one question is that you ask, the title of your book is, is in itself a question, Who Killed Shastri? You make the movie and you write about the struggle with the climax, right? You cannot just uh, treat a movie like a documentary that, uh, you know, you just, it starts and it finishes. A movie has to have a climax. Yet, what I really liked was that you did not take the easy way out by saying like, you know, some unknown, you know, so can you tell us a little bit about uh, what went into your mind when you were thinking about the climax of the movie? Oh, it was, I, I've written it in detail. I've written in yes. the book about this, that uh, dilemma, you know. The thing is, if I, if I say, okay, this is who has done it, who killed Shastri, so-and-so killed Shastri or whatever, then I think it, 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 it's not right because I'm no judge. I'm no lawyer. I'm not. Um, any kind of an inquiry commission and it's not correct on my part to say anything like this because how can I do that? I'm not Sherlock Holmes, you know. So I have to conclude how I see what made it happen. So if you see in the movie also in the book I have extended the same thought. I think that most of the things we don't know in this country and lots of denied is because we have no right to truth in this country. Even now, even today, despite everything in this country, we don't have right to truth about anything. Why is that? People want to know the truth, but why is it that we have become so conditioned to not, you know, 
pushing to find the truth out? Why is it that uh, that that you know our political class has been so successful in teaching us to not demand the truth? Why is it? See, because they're, they're, I don't know. I'm. I don't want to. I don't want people coming after me and saying, "Hey, you said that." So I'm just saying it as one of the interpretations. There can be millions of them, but I think, with my limited understanding, that we are not taught to put emphasis on truth. You know, there's two two kinds of there are two ways you can train a mind to seek something. one what you learn from your family and everywhere so in the society in hindu society especially truth is a very personal thing truth is some ultimate truth you uh, do certain things then you find that truth you know there are many ways of finding that truth so it's and and so it's very philosophical in a way it's very metaphysical so a lot of people think truth is this and it's got nothing to do with the system and it's got nothing to do with the government so truth has been considered very personal but then in a democracy in a system truth is also an organized thing truth is something when you do a b c d step 1 step 2 step 3 4 it will lead you to truth which the western societies are very concerned about they are not concerned about philosophical or metaphysical truth they are not into spiritual truth they don't care about it they care more about the systematic truth that the system is lying to me and that becomes like for them it's a matter of life and death and they are trained in school they are trained in their offices they are trained wherever they go they are trained that it is the responsibility of your government to deliver truth i am not saying there are lots of crooks there also their system is also uh, corrupt i am not saying that all the times they deliver truth but at least they know it is their fundamental right to demand truth you tell me in which school or before my film people had no idea that truth is your right it's your democratic right because without truth there cannot be any justice without truth there cannot be any liberty without truth there cannot be any freedom without truth there cannot be anything if i don't know the truth so given that our education system is the way it is and i don't see any hope that it will you know ever change or reform how what is your message to people to youngsters who want to you know to 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 try and make a difference right so where does their journey begin how and how should they go about it ah okay in a very utopian world i would appeal to all school students and ptas and parent teachers association to go on an indefinite strike and put the pressure on the government unless you start teaching us the true history and the true things and teach us about us not about them you know not about others teach us about us i want to know where i have come from my first concern should be who am i and see this life is what what is success success is your self esteem if you have 10 rupees in your pocket and you have great self esteem you are you will walk like a successful person you can have billions and billions of dollars in your pocket and if you have very low self esteem you will walk like a unsuccessful person so success is in your mind a country becomes successful when you have collective success when most of the people in the country feel they live in a successful place if nothing else this system 
gives me opportunity to be successful. But in India, you will find majority of the people feel there is no opportunity to be successful because nobody recognizes my talent. Why is it so? Why we are creating people of low self-esteem? The reason we are creating people of low self-esteem is because they do not understand where they belong. The day they understand the wisdom, the knowledge, and the greatness of our own thinking, which is so unique to us. For example, yesterday I made a video. Okay, There is a concept which has no parallel in the world in any language, Okay, which is Shunita. Okay, people will call it in English, they will say nothingness. Okay, but nothingness or emptiness, emptiness assumes that there's a bottle or there is a box. There were ought to be things inside that and there are no things inside that. Nothingness also assumes that there is something ought to be there and there is nothing. You know, nothingness means you take out whatever is inside or things like that, you know, but Shunita is not that. So the West has always believed in things. Without thing, there is no Western thinking. And we have believed in Shunita, which has got nothing to do with the thing, like sky. You go and look for the sky. Where is the sky? There is no sky. There is absolutely no sky. And that's exactly what our great rishis and our scholars have been writing for so long. There is no sky. You are the sky. West believes sky is the limit. We believe, no, we are the sky. We are part of the Brahman. We are that sky. You know, Tattva Masi, Dawa. Now, these are great learnings and they're so simple. So, what I'm saying is, and today quantum physics believes that things come out of nothing. I, so, sorry, I just got in a tangent. No, but what I'm trying I, to say is the plurality, the inclusiveness, the, the liberalism, the, the, the adjustment, the tolerance, the, you know, Sacrifice these great concepts of India. Nobody knows about it. Once they start knowing about it, the children, the great uh, people we have had, the great literature we have had, how we created music, the science of music, the science of theaters, all these modern things, then they will feel proud of this country. Then they would have great self-esteem and then we will become a successful country. I wait for that day when our schools will actually start talking about the Mahavakyas uh, from our uh, tradition and our culture. But uh, uh, I, I, I want to move to you know the third part uh, of uh, what I intended to, which is that uh, you, I think you alluded somewhere to the Kashmir files. Now, obviously, I can assume you're where this is going. Uh, tell us a little bit about it. Uh, firstly, what is the Kashmir Files project? Because when you talk of Kashmir, you can talk of uh, the situation in, in Kashmir in 1948 as it emerged. You can talk about the situation in Kashmir in in, in January 1990, uh, where you know uh, lakhs of Kashmiri Hindu pundits were thrown out, killed, massacred out of their homes of thousands of years. Or you can talk about the Kashmir of August 2019 when for the first time since independence, uh, it was actually integrated into the Indian Union. What is your project about? Okay, so in fact, this uh, whole journey started somewhere. I realized that after 1947, the entire country got partitioned. And slowly we started living our lives and the partition was over. 
um, logistically also and also in people's minds, except for people who had to suffer during partition. Today's generation has no even clue about what partition was. It's a far, far, uh, since long back it happened and they don't even care about it unless and until they're taught in schools, you know. Your children, my children have no imagery of partition in their mind. But in Kashmir, partition never ended. Till date, even till date, it never ended. The suffering, the pain, the separation, you know, the call for partition, a new country, it kept happening. It got repeated every week, every day, every hour, if not on the ground, at least in their minds. Second thing was that Kashmir is, without Kashmir, Bharatvarsh is nothing. Absolutely nothing. It's like, um, look at America without its greatest universities. Nothing, you know. Uh, so the highest, the best of the inventions, the best of the discoveries, the best of the writing, the musicology, grammar, Ayurveda, yoga, Panchatantra, philosophy, you name it, you name everything you will find was written in Kashmir. And no wonder, I mean, people after doing, that's why Shankaracharya walked from the south and went there, Rishi Kashyap walked from south and went there because for whatever reason, I think it was the apex body of research and apex body of knowledge and wisdom. And that's why Sharda is, um, they worship Sharda and Shiva. Shiva, the philosophical Shiva, the yogi Shiva, not the uh, part of Shiva, you know, more academic part of Shiva they worship and Sharda, which is Saraswati. You know, so these are the two, one God and Goddess they believe in and the entire philosophy around it. So, which means the best of the minds from India went there. And when I started researching, I realized that Kashmir indeed was the first Silicon Valley is the, of the first millennia. It was the knowledge center of the world. That's why people came to invade and loot it. Nobody goes and goes and invades and loots an empty village or a poor village. That's why they came. So they came primarily to loot the knowledge. And then when these people came, then they started converting them. Uh, they made 10 commandments they made for Kashmiri Hindus. It was 100% Hindu population. And they said, you can't put tilak, you can't ride a horse, you can't use a talwar, and you can't keep arms, and you can't lock your doors. There were 10 commandments. So they dis disarmed them. Right? And then the exodus began. Yeah, in my book, in my film, you will see all, a lot of things, you know, which the people don't know in this country at all. Even Kashmiris don't know what you'll see in my film. Kashmiri pundits don't know so many things. So, and so there were seven exodus. But seven. Seven, yeah, so far. And the seventh, every time they went back, but the seventh time they couldn't. In fact, the earlier exodus, they were trampled. And then these Sufi people, Sufis are not what we... What our prime minister popularizes saying Sufi, Sufi, Sufi. That's not what Sufis were, you know. These are the Fakir Sufis in Rajasthan who are like the... They are like the hundredth or the millionth photocopy of the original document. So they have nothing to do with the real Sufi. Sufis were the soldiers of these uh, uh, Muslim kings. And they were the soldiers and they would trample Hindus, you know, under their feet. And they would eat their flesh. They will cut them and they'll eat their flesh. Are you serious? I mean, you go to Jammu and Kashmir, um, uh, 
library in Srinagar, pick out uh, pick up the book which is written by Araki's son, his father's biography. I'm quoting exactly from there. Unbelievable. So now all these things we don't know. So there were seven accidents, but Abhinav, what hit me? Because I, at the end of the day, I'm not a documentary maker. I have to tell a story. Okay, to tell a story, you have to, what I feel emotionally, I have to tell. Like in, um, in this film, Shastri's film, Right to Truth became my mantra. Similarly here, I'll tell you what became the mantra to write this film was. I believe they had the eighth exodus also. And the eighth exodus wasn't done only by um, uh, Islamic terrorists, the so-called. It was collectively done that we deleted them from our minds. How we delete it? Yes, we raise, oh, Kashmiri Pandit, when it comes to social media, everybody shows a lot of concern. Okay, but nothing has happened, actually. Nothing has happened. Everything has been just whitewashing. Nothing has actually happened. Because we think Kashmir is somebody else's problem. We have isolated Kashmir in our mind. If you take, if somebody can scan people's mind in India, I can guarantee you that Northeast and Kashmir will have a big chai between them. You know, they, are, they won't be as integrated as Delhi or West Bengal or Bihar or Maharashtra or Karnataka or Tamil Nadu. I can guarantee if somebody does a scientific scanning, every Indian feels that Northeast and Kashmir are two different countries. It has happened because a lot of people are party to this. Politicians, number one, all the politicians. Number two, media. Media has always misreported. They have hidden for the agenda. And especially the thought leaders and intellectuals and all these people who talk about secularism and blah, 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 blah. What kind of secularism are they talking about? I'll just give you one incident. Okay. In 1988, and this incident will tell you exactly how Kashmir was governed. In 1988, in Kashmir, they built a new, they built a, uh, in their new complex of high court, they built Gandhiji's uh, statue, Mahatma Gandhi's statue. Okay. And India's chief justice of India, R.S. Patak, was supposed to inaugurate it after two days. Okay. Then the Bar Association lawyer, lawyers, they started protesting. They said, we cannot have Gandhi in our uh, complex. Why? That's what I'm trying to tell you. And the chief minister of Jammu and Kashmir, Shri Farooq Abdullah, uh, canceled that program. And Mr. Pathak, the chief justice of India, had to cancel his visit to uh, Kashmir. And Gandhi's statue was never installed. Amazing. I had not only that, no idea. not over as yet. Immediately, immediately after that, the guy who was leading that protest, Mr. Farooq Abdullah gave him a ticket from Srinagar constituency for member of parliament. Now, and what can be a better, uh, better icon of secularism in this country than Mahatma Gandhi? Now, they wanted to send the same person who does not let Mahatma Gandhi's statue be installed to represent Kashmir in Parliament of India. And I mean, I don't know what to tell you after this. Words fail me. I, I, you know, despite everything that we read and all, these facts still, I think, end up startling us. So much has been hidden and covered up and distorted. So 
first okay so when can we expect this uh, movie uh we were supposed to shoot in march in fact we i was leaving on the 16th of march but then 18th march uh, in fact they announced that uh, from 18 march there will be lockdown so we had to postpone it then we tried to shoot in august then september then october but now finally we are shooting in december december and, yeah december we are shooting the film so hopefully next year mid next year you will get to see the film yeah. and the inevitable question vivek when can we expect the book on the movie um <laughs> this book i want to write and i seriously want to write and it's going to take me some time and lot of courage to write this because this book is not going to be about um, and i have a i know what i am going to write see for almost a year and a half we traveled all over india what i decided was that we have no documentation of the victims of tomorrow if you say genocide you will say what genocide what happened except for three four very popular incidents on internet you know with various interpretations you won't find anything concrete you know and most of them are written by the involved parties so i said by now in any country if there is a genocide or semi genocide or exodus then it's a government's duty any democratic government's duty to form a tribunal and call all the victims on camera uninterrupted they have to record their testimonials like war crimes are recorded right right, right? any civilized country would do that so this is one of the reasons we are not a civilized country is that we don't do these kind of things you know so i said let me do let us do it with whatever uh, resources we have so i traveled everywhere jammu kashmir uh, i spoke to even muslim victims um, jammu pune bangalore mumbai delhi wherever they are then usa canada uh, uk germany south africa all these places we were about to go this uh, may to new zealand and australia we couldn't but we'll go immediately after finishing the film in uh, february or sometime so so far i have we have recorded long means that six hour long seven hour long interviews you know non stop um of more than 575 uh, first generation victims first generation victims means the criteria was that somebody in your family was murdered raped cut into pieces stuff like that or children were um, uh, killed that is first generation not that i heard my aunts and this and happened not that not that so the first generation people we identified we travel all over the world in fact a lot of people helped us in that so when we were doing this especially in us and uk and all these places you won't believe it for 45 days pallavi me my son and my crew my cameraman sound people we traveled there our eyes were swollen because the entire day we used to do two interviews a day sometimes we would meet six seven people in the evening and then they would chat and we recorded that also the group round table discussions or over the dinner discussions and all i just kept crying 45 days non stop non stop i mean in the morning i normally go for a walk my eye used to be swollen and i had to put ice sometimes milk or some things like that you know pallavi and i and we non stop cried we were not crying because it was about killings we were not crying because somebody's uh, mother was cut in 
to pieces or father was cut into pieces i'm a filmmaker storyteller so i'm i think my emotional uh, i'm more emotionally evolved so these things i can control i was crying because it was self pity i was saying i am such an aware person and how come i didn't know about this whatever i knew was nothing i said how come i didn't know about this and that feeling is such a pathetic feeling abhinav i can't tell you is the worst feeling in the world is the worst feeling knowing how somebody was killed you can live with that ha ah, this happened but this is something you can't resolve because you take lot of pride in your knowledge knowing yes i am up to date with the socio politics of this country i know what happened kashmir oh i know what happened this is the politics this is how exodus happened there was islamic terrorism and worse what worse they must have killed some people some people in 50 pieces they cut a woman into two halves they cut this no to know that it was happening right in front of you and you had no idea about it this is so tragic because i am old enough to remember when the exodus happened and i remember reading in the newspapers and it died out in a matter of a few months this is january 1990 so if people don't remember this is when the vp singh government was in power and people found it convenient to pin the blame on that government forgetting that uh, what had led to the situation and then there was a period of political turmoil then the vp singh government fell the chandrashekhar government came into power and all of those things but still of all the accounts that i have uh, you know browsed or read so far unfortunately many of them take a very very slanted view on things that happened so i personally am looking forward to both the movie and then when you get down to writing the book the book also so vivek i'll thank you once again this has been a, a terrific wonderful interview you have talked about uh, not just uh, you know this book who killed shastri uh, but also on several things uh, that i think uh, were an unexpected surprise and delight so on behalf of indic book club indic academy i'd like to thank you once more and people the book is who killed shastri from the maker of uh, the major motion picture the tashkent files by vivek agnihotri it's been published by by bloomsbury if you can if you can make out this book this is the book yeah, so no, please uh, go and uh, buy it read it review it talk about it discuss it share it with people I'll show it. Uh... Can you see it? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. <laughs> so thanks so much, Vivek. I was uh, listening to your passion. Your passion always inspires people. And uh, man, you are all over the place. You just finished uh, Bhopal. Now you're going to Uttarakhand. You really. <laughs> I don't know where you get this energy from, but it's amazing. really really nice so now what's happening in uttarakhand you're going to start shooting kashmir files no i am going for recce to, to few places and then december we start shooting i see so you're not uh, uh, i mean last time you had uh, uh, trouble getting permissions from uh, uh, in kashmir itself right so you're going to no i'm shooting in kashmir also but first i am shooting in uttarakhand and then i'll shoot in kashmir Otherwise, you might have to go to Georgia or something. <laughs> <laughs> you know, 
see a lot of people say yes we are integrated and yes 370 and uh, all those things yes i know that this government is doing a lot of uh, stuff like universities have come under central government and lots of things are happening but still um it's kashmir remains exactly how it was one and a half years ago pre 5th of august because uh, it's as troubled as ever you know um, and that is worrisome so let's see yeah i mean now that uh, people can go and buy land there i think we need a lot of people from the other parts of india to settle down there i guess yeah that, that that kind of integration has to happen yeah it will change only when uh, we actually go there and people start moving a lot in that right now it's isolated abandoned so it has to integrate and government can't integrate it we the citizens of india will have to integrate it into yeah. back to india good yeah thank you thank you thank you very much thank you vivek thank you everyone bye i wish the entire indic family in advance uh, for uh, happy diwali and happy all the festivals which are going to come thank you vivek and from us also okay okay thank you bye 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 bye